This morning we're going to continue our study in the book of Ephesians. We're going to move forward in Ephesians chapter 4 uh, through looking at verses 17 through 24. That's where we'll be focusing on today. Um, one of the challenges, as I've said before, in the book of Ephesians is, number one, <clears throat> it is so rich. There is so much richness here that, um, that it's hard sometimes to just kind of take it all in and sort of hold it all together. But it's, uh, and you have to do that with the book of Ephesians because it is just so all tightly held together and each teaching just builds and amplifies and points back to what we've looked at. And so we're going to probably each week do a little bit of that um, all the time that we do. So let's pray for God's grace to help us as we handle this most glorious portion of his word. Let's pray together. <clears throat> Father, we're humbled before you that, that we can come once again and as a body of believers with your Holy Spirit in our midst and in our hearts, that we can gather and study your word and that you can speak to us through your word and we can hear your voice through the preached word, the opening up of your word. Father, please be with us. Please, we pray. We come here with open hearts. We've come here with hearts and we've come here, Father, determined to be both good hearers, to have ears to hear and doers to go and to do. So please be with us. Please help us. Please pour out your spirit and, and instruct us. And Father, give us grace that we might bring you glory with our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> the sermon is entitled in your bulletin, I think, Walking Worthy of the Calling. Walking Worthy of the Calling. And if you look with me to chapter 4, verse 1, that's actually how this whole section of the book of Ephesians starts. Paul says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. <clears throat> And so I'm going to jump right in here. Excuse me one second. <clears throat> I'm going to jump right in here, and I'm going to just give you the, the headings that we're going to be looking at today. And you don't have to write these down because they're in the, the family discussion questions in the back. But they're very simple. Here's the headings for today. Number one, who you are. Number two, who you were. Number three, stop being who you were. And number four... Be who you are, okay? And that actually is an outline of what Paul is doing here in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 17 and following. He's going to talk about who he has talked about, who you are, who you were, and stop being who you were and be who you are. Now, he's going to introduce two phrases that we've been looking at already, but I just want to remind you of them. He's going to talk about the old man, and he's going to talk about the new man. And he's not talking about your personal old man or new man. And that's where people get very confused as they're studying the word of God. He's actually, it would be better translated, he's going to talk about the old humanity and the new humanity. The old man is Adam and his race. It is fallen. It is under the wrath and curse of God. It is doomed to destruction. And that is the old man. 
Christ came and he was born of a man, born under the law to redeem us and to start the new man. And Paul is going to talk about, he talked about in Ephesians, the one new man, Jew and Gentile together in union with Christ, the one new humanity. These are the heavenly people. These are the kingdom people. These are the people who have victory over sin and death. These are the people who are justified, have been born again, and who are going to be the heirs of the, of the new heavens and the new earth. So remember that as Paul talks about the old man and the new man as we look forward uh, in, this, in this section. So let's begin uh, this section with uh, the, point, the heading, Who You Are. Actually, the entire book of Ephesians has been written so far primarily to show us who we are in Christ. And so this, this, this heading is, is something by way of review. And if you would like to just sort of follow along, I, I'm going to point out what we've looked at so far, and you can look at the verses with your own eyes. I'm not going to be reading them. I'm just going to be summarizing them for us. But we start all the way in chapter 1 and verse four, uh, 3 when he says that we have been blessed with all of the spiritual blessings in Christ Jesus, in union with Christ. And then he says this in verse 4, we were chosen in him before the foundation of the world. That's who you are. You're the people who have been chosen in him before the foundation of the world. Now look at the end of verse 4 where he says this, because this is where Paul's going in chapter 4, and you sh that you may should be holy and without blame before him in love. And we're going to be moving toward now that sanctification, that holiness. But he says you were chosen in him before the foundation of the world. Chapter uh, verse 5, you were predestined to be his sons. This is who you are. You are the sons of the living God, adopted into his family. Verse 6, uh, you were this happened to the praise of the glory of his grace. You were graced. If you remember almost a year ago when I was preaching on that verse, it, where it says accepted in the beloved. It's, it's actually the literal word, you were graced. You were graced in Christ Jesus. In verse 7, you were redeemed by the blood of his son. God's son was sacrificed for you. In verse 13, he tells us that we have been sealed with the Holy Spirit, that you are the people for whom the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. The third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, resides and dwells in you, and you have been sealed in him. In chapter 1, verses 22 and 23, he makes one of the greatest statements ever made to the human race. And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church. You are his church, which, verse 23, is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. He somehow mysteriously finds that he is fulfilled by you, his body, as the head and body are fulfilled, are, is fulfilled by the body. He then talked in chapter 2 and he says, you are the people in verse 5 who being dead were raised again from the dead. You've been given new life in Christ Jesus and you've actually been raised with Christ and actually due to the union that you have with Christ, you are seated right now in the heavenly places. You're citizens of heaven. You're the heavenly people. You're the people who are the heirs of the kingdom even now. And then he talked about how Jew and Gentile were brought together into one new man, one new humanity. You were aliens, he says in chapter 2 and verse 12. And then in chapter 2 and verse 13, he says, but you've been brought near. And then in chapter 2, verses 14, he says, the dividing wall has been broken down. It's been abolished. And then look at the end of verse 15. And he created in himself one 
new man. There's the new man right there. From the two, thus making peace. Jesus created, in, it was created in him, one new humanity. Jew and Gentile, baptized, filled with the Holy Spirit, baptized into Christ Jesus, in union with Christ Jesus, in oneness with him, one new man. He went on to say this at the end of verse 19. You're no longer strangers and foreigners. You're God's fellow citizens. You're members of God's household. God is building a temple, and you're that temple, and he dwells in that temple. And then he says in chapter 3 and verse 10, <clears throat> he says that God is doing this, and the entire cosmos the principalities and powers, all of the angels, all of the demons are hell, are watching in wonder and amazement at what God is doing in you. Look at verse 10, 310. To the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places. God is doing this amazing work, and you are those people. And therefore, he says in chapter 4 and verse 1, I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you. I'm begging you. I'm pleading with you. I'm calling you from my heart to walk worthy of this calling that you were. This is who you are. Now, he then talks about the second point, who you were. Look at verse 17. <clears throat> This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind. You should not walk what you were. You shouldn't walk like the rest of the Gentiles. See, the, the Ephesians were Gentile church. That word Gentiles, by the way, that's the Greek word ethne. We get our word ethnic from that. Uh, some of your Bibles may even translate that nations. It, Paul is actually talking about the lost world there. He's talking about those who are outside the body. But they, and they were one time this. Look at chapter 2 and verse 11. Hopefully that's just right across the page for you. It says, Therefore remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, who were called uncircumcised by that which is called circumcision by the hand. He said, you were once that, but you're not that anymore. Okay, verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near. Now in verse 417, he says, uh, now I tell you, don't walk like the rest of the Gentiles walk. Don't. Don't walk like that. And he's now going to describe what he means by that. But before he does that, I want to stop. And I just want to give you a, a I just want to, interject something here that, that really kind of struck me when I was preparing this. Paul is going to now describe what the lost world is like, what lost people and lost society and lost culture, what the old man, what, the, what that is like. He's going to start to describe that. And I have to tell you that there was a time in my life when I would have preached this message and I would have had to pause here and try to convince the audience that what Paul is saying here is actually true. And what I mean by that is, is that, is that now I've been in, in ministry for 45 years. So if you swing back 40 years ago, say for instance, you swing back 40 years ago and I would be talking to a congregation of people. Well, that congregation of people 40 years ago, they were people who ha had and thought and lived much differently than we do now. Most of them were probably brought up in intact homes. Most of them were taught certain values. 
The Ten Commandments was still very much a part of the consciousness of our culture. Our culture very much had biblical moorings and, 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 and biblical uh, uh, you know, electricity, as it were, going through the culture, going through the ethics, going through that. And so oftentimes I would be preaching to congregations of people who were respectable, who were faithful to their wives and husbands, who worked hard, who raised their children well, who coached Little League, who were, who were veterans, who, who had, and, and, and I had to convince them that if, for those who were unbelievers, or to convince them that the culture, which was most of that, was lost, was, 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 in, viol- was it an, 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 an enmity toward God, was not living out, to, and it was a stretch. Jonathan Edwards, when he wrote his treatise way back, in, and you can imagine how hard that would have been in Puritan New England. In Puritan New England, when Jonathan Edwards uh, preached his messages, men naturally God's enemies, he had to work hard to prove that there is actually an enmity against God there. And, and as I was sitting here studying and preparing, I thought, wow, have we come a long way. I'm actually not going to have to convince them of anything that Paul writes in the next two verses because they're going to immediately resonate with it and say, wow, isn't that true? Whoa, isn't that true? In fact, what I'm going to do now is I'm going to simply define the terms for you. Now, I can't help myself because I'm a preacher, so every once in a while I'll jump in there. But mostly I'm going to try to define the terms for you. And all you're going to do, and I know you're going to do this, all you're going to do is you're going to sit there and you're going to start thinking of the last news article you wrote and the, read and the last website and the, what's going on in social media and what's going on in our culture. And you're going to say, whoa, that's happening today. That's true. That's, I'm not going to have to convince you of what Paul's just about to say. So listen to what Paul's going to say. He's going to describe the Gentiles, describe the unbelieving lost nations. He's going to describe them to the Ephesians and say, this is, don't do this. Don't walk like this any longer. So look at verse 17. He says this, that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles do in the futility of their mind. The futility of their mind. The word that Paul uses there, futility, in the original language means aimlessness due to lack of purpose, vanity, emptiness, unreality, purposelessness. The idea here is is that as a culture, as we as a culture determined, actually 200 years ago in the Enlightenment, but but it's it's working itself out finally, the, the, the chickens are coming home to roost, that we would live a life apart from God, that we would separate ourselves apart from God, and as soon as you do that, you know what happens? You're immediately lost in the universe. The biggest questions of life you can't even answer. Who am I? Why are we here? What is the purpose? What is the meaning? You can't, and so what happens is, is that the, the, the society, the people, we become aimless due to lack of purpose, empty, vanity. We don't know the answers to any of these questions. In 1948, after the horrors of, the, of, the, of World War II, after the Holocaust, after all of the horrors, after all that had taken place, the United Nations came together and they said, you know what, we should make a declaration of human dignity. We need to make the Declaration of Human Dignity. And so they appointed Eleanor Roosevelt. She was the, uh, the widow of, uh, uh, she was the wife of, uh, of uh, uh, you know, uh, Franklin Roosevelt. She appointed him, they appointed her head of this committee. And they brought, they brought philosophers and, and educators and academics from all around the world. They handpicked them all around the world. And they brought them into this room. And they said, please come up with a Declaration of Human Dignity. And you know what happened? You know what happened? For six months, they argued with one another, and they couldn't come up with one reason why they could actually assert human dignity. 
See, they didn't believe that man was created in the image of God, which is the basis of human dignity. They didn't believe in any of that. And so here they were, you know, evolutionized, you know, amoebas, uh, just basically almost out of the chimpanzee world, uh, in a meaningless chance world, and they were trying to come up with human dignity. And if you read some of the interaction and discussions that went on there, they ended up wringing their hands and saying, we can't come up with anything. So you know what they did? They wrote the 1948 United Nations Declaration of Human Dignity. They just declared it. Humans have dignity. <laughs> and they have no And of course, the history shows what's happened since 1948. They had no reason why. They're lost in the universe. They're empty. And that's what Paul is saying here. They walk in the futility of their mind. But it gets worse. It gets way worse. Look at the next verse. Having their understanding darkened. So if you kick God out and you decide to go at it alone and you're left in this meaningless universe, do you think Satan's going to leave you alone? And what happens is their minds begin to darken, darken. And this is scary stuff. You know, remember when we studied the book of Revelation, the book of Revelation is, is, you basically has this structure of the seven seals and then the seven trumpets, and then the seven bowls. When the fifth trumpet is sounded in Revelation 9, 2, it says this, and he opened the bottomless pit. Once, the, once the, this is the angel, he was actually he has the fifth trumpet. He opened the bottomless pit, and smoke arose out of the pit like the smoke of a great furnace. So the sun and the air were darkened because of the smoke of the pit. And in that, in that figurative thing, darkness then, some kind of out of hell comes all of this darkness. Well, when you get to the, remember the, the seals and then the trumpets and the bowls keep getting more and more intense and more. When you get to the fifth angel who's pouring out his bowl in Revelation 16, notice what it says. Then the fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast, on the Antichrist himself, and his kingdom became full of darkness and they gnawed their tongues because of the pain. How many of you have read the newspaper? Well, we don't read newspaper. How many of you have read the internet lately? And how many of you have, have, have watched what's going on in this world and saying, things are getting dark. It is getting ugly and dark. And isn't it interesting in that verse that on the kingdom of wickedness, on, on, the, on the Antichrist kingdom in the book of Revelation, the darkness falls and descends upon them and they're suffering in it. And this world that has turned away from God has gone its own way in the futility of its mind have become darkened. And now in this world, what is the big problems that we face in this world as the darkness is descending? Depression, anxiety, fear, despair. A darkness is, de is descending. But then he goes on even further. Notice what Paul says next. Being alienated from the life of God. And Paul said, at one time, you Gentiles were alienated from the life of God. Being alienated from the life of God. In, Re in Romans chapter 1, verses 21 and 22, Paul says something very similar. He says, because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, there's the vanity of their mind, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. So notice this, this idea of that they, they, they knew God, but 
the unbelieving world wouldn't glorify him as God. They're going without him. They weren't thankful. And so their minds become empty and aimless. Their hearts become darkened. And then Paul says, and I think this characterizes our age more than any other Bible verse right now, professing to be wise, they became fools. And you know what? Then notice what he says next. He says this, their understanding is darkened, being alienated from the life of God. Why? He gives two because clauses, because of the ignorance that is in them and because of the blindness of their heart. Now, the word ignorance there, they see they knew God and they turned from God and that leads them to ignorance, okay? And then notice he says the blindness of their heart. Some of your Bibles and more, probably more accurately says the hardness of their heart. The turning away from God, the heart begins to harden. It begins darkened and it begins to harden and harden and harden. And that's what's going on. This alienation, this ignorance, this darkness. And then what does that cause? Look at verse 19 who being past feeling, and that word there means this, to cease to feel pain, to become calloused. And then it means this, become insensible to truth and honor and shame. One, one commentator wrote, progressive inability of conscience to convict them of wrongdoing. Have you ever seen the videos lately of what's been going on in urban areas with shoplifting? Have you ever seen those videos? It's unbelievable. Guys go walking in with shopping bags and just... And they just walk out. And then they go walk out. And they walk out. How about people who, who actually go around with, with Amazon Prime vests on and empty boxes going up to people's porches and picking up the box of stuff and putting down the other box and going back in their car and just stealing, just stealing people's stuff that's on their porch. How about the amount of cheating that's going on today? There's a sense in which we're beyond shame. We're beyond feeling that these things are wrong and that they're bad. We're beyond that. And that's what Paul was explaining, how, how the Gentiles in his day were even back then. Then he goes on in verse 19 and says this, he says, he says, who being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness. Now, we don't use that word a lot anymore because we don't have any shame about it. We don't even have definitions like this. But listen to what this word meant that Paul used at this point. It means outrageous conduct, shocking to public decency, unbridled lust, excessive and shameless a lack of self-constraint which involves one in conduct that violates all bounds of what is socially acceptable. Filthy words, indecent bodily motions, unchaste handling of males and females. That's the word that Paul uses here. And that's what he says eventually it, it, it comes out and, and is lived out and is a part of what Gentile pagan culture is, Paul says. That's what you were. And then he goes on to say this as he's describing them. He says this, continue in verse 19, to work all in clean, uncleanness or impurity with greediness. And there he's not talking about greediness just for money. The word means insatiable. They can't stop. They need more. They need more. They need it. It's got to be darker. It's got to be more evil. It's got to be more wicked. They need more. It's got to be more perverse. It's got to be more violent. More and more and more. And this is what Paul says. Paul says, this is what you once were. This is who you were. 
And I can't go on and give you examples. Because if I did, it would be unseemly in this cult, in this place, to even give examples. But I do want to say this. I do want to say this. Dear ones, as we look at this ugly picture of what the culture is and what it means to walk outside of God and what we're seeing playing out in our world today, I want to urge you, I want to urge you to not despise such people. Number one, you were such a people. I was. I came out of this. This was me. These were my people. This was my culture. I want to urge you not to despise them, not to look down your nose at them, and not to judge them. That's the way Pharisees respond. Let me show you how Christians respond. In Philippians 3, 18 and 19, Paul wrote this. For many walk of whom I have told you often and now tell you even weeping, weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction. That's why he's weeping. They're going to perish whose God is their belly and whose glory is their shame and who set their minds on earthly things. Notice what he says there in the previous verse. I tell you these things weeping. Dear ones, we ought to weep. We ought to weep for our culture today. But notice where Paul's going with this. Point one, who you were. Point two, I'm sorry, point one, who you are. You're the redeemed, you're the saved. Point two, who you were. Point three, stop being who you were. That's what Paul was saying in this text. Stop being who you were. Notice again, verse 17. I therefore, and notice how solemnly he says this. He means this. He's almost shaking. He's sweating. He's glaring us in the eye. I, this I say to you and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk. The word walk there means order your life. Order your lifestyle. Make your decisions. Live your life. Have your value system. How you spend your time and your efforts and your thoughts and your money and your, and your career and your strength. and your, All that you do. How you live your lifestyle. Your worldview. Do not walk anymore like the Gentiles walk. Now notice what we, say, we see here. This is a radical call to be different than your culture. And we need to make this more and more clear to new converts in Christ Jesus. If you're going to follow Jesus, if Jesus, you're going to be his follower and you're going to follow him, you've got to leave stuff behind. You've got to say no. You've got to stop going the way the flow of the world goes. That's called repentance. You have to turn and you have to follow Jesus come what may. And guess what? They're not going to like you for that and be prepared for that. And the Bible is very, very clear about that. Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 4, For we have spent enough of our past lifetime in doing the will of the Gentiles. When we walked in lewdness, lusts, drunkenness, revelries, drinking parties, and abominable, uh, abominable idolatries. In regard to these, they think it's strange that you do not run with them in the same flood of dissipation. Speaking evil of you, they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. They're not going to like the fact that you're going in another direction. They're not going to like the fact that you no longer share their value system. You no longer share their, you don't think their jokes are funny. You don't think the direction that they're going in is right. You won't join them in their dissipation. You won't be a part of this. They're not going to like you for that. 
Peter says, hey, we're going to all stand before Christ, so you, you, you don't worry about that. You worry about you know, be, that, being with him. Jesus put it this way in Luke 12. He said, do you suppose that I came to bring peace on earth? I tell you, not at all, but rather division. For from now on, five in one house will be divided. Three against two and two against three. Father will be divided against son, son against father, mother against daughter, daughter, -in -law, uh, daughter against mother, mother-in-law against daughter-in-law, and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. Why? Because some of them saying, I am no longer what part of you. I am no longer going that way. I am no longer walking as the Gentiles walk. I am no longer going to be a part of this. And you're going to be rejected from this. You're going to be rejected from this. But we're not trying to be ornery, just, just being different for being different. There's a reason why Paul says this. And look at what he goes on to say in, in, in Ephesians 4. He says this. No longer walk as they walk, then he describes it. And then he says this. But you have not so learned Christ, if in, verse 20, verse 21, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. And now he gives a, com a command here. That you put off concerning your former conduct the old humanity, which grows corrupt according to deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and you put on the new humanity, which is created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Now, time will not allow us to go into what it means, the renewing of your mind and the new humanity. We're going to focus on this putting off, putting off the old, old humanity. And this is what he means when he says put off or take off. Uh, notice again, verse 22, that you put off concerning your former conduct, the old humanity, the Adam humanity. The, the humanity under judgment. You take that off. And the word means to literally lay it aside. Uh, it, it literally can be used of taking off a piece of clothing. In Acts chapter 7, the word is actually used of the men who took off, they took off their cloaks. They took off their, and they laid them at Paul's feet so that they could throw rocks at Stephen. They took them off. And they, that's the word that is actually being used here. And Paul is saying, in a sense, take off the old man. Take off all of the things that were part of that old humanity. Over here, the humanity, the, the old man, the Adam race, the earth race, the race under condemnation and judgment that Adam brought, the race that is living all of these things. Get out of it. Take it off. Put it aside. No longer should that be part of who you are. You need to get that out of your life. And this is something that was very much a part of biblical holiness. Look at uh, in, in, uh, on the screen, Romans 13, 12. Paul said, the night is far spent, the day is at hand. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Or in Colossians 3.8, he says this, but now you yourselves are to put off all of these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your tongue. And this is the idea. You're, in a sense, you're to say, I am no longer a part of this old race. I am no longer a part of the humanity of Adam in that sense. I am no longer a part of this race that is in, in, in rebellion against God. I am part of the new humanity. I have been born again. I have been made anew. I have been made alive. And so I'm done with this. I'm done with this. I'm not going to be a part of this. I'm not going to continue with this. Dear ones, this is what you said in your baptism. When you were baptized, you were buried. The old man, the old humanity was buried dead. And you came up the new humanity to live a new life in Jesus Christ. This is who you are. 
This is what you're to be. Jesus made it even stronger. Cut off right hands, pluck out right eyes. Get away. No longer walk in those pathways. So what does that mean? Well, it means this. Listen to my words. I've listed a bunch of them, but I'm trying to make a point. It means a radical, aggressive, vehement, violent, determined, righteously angry, no, no, that is not me anymore, no, I'm stopping, I'm the new humanity, I've been born again, I've been raised from the dead, I am in union with Christ, I have the Holy Spirit living within me. I have been made one of the, in this new humanity. I am now a part of God's family. I am now being built into a holy temple. I am one of this, these new people. I've been adopted. I have been chosen for holiness and righteousness. I'm done. I'm done with Adam. I'm done with sin. I'm done with this turning away from God. I'm done with a lifestyle that does not include God. I'm done with this empty thinking. I'm done with this darkened hearts. I'm done with this hard heart. I'm done with this sin. I'm done. I want done. I want out. I want it away. I want it away. I'm done with that. That's what this means. That's what this means. And notice how Paul starts. Notice how Paul starts. Look at verse 25. We're not even there yet, but notice where he goes. Therefore, Paul says... Putting away lying. I'm done lying. I'm not going to lie anymore. I'm done. Look at verse 26. Anger. Look at verse 28. Stealing. Look at verse 29. Foul language. It's saying, I'm stopping. No. I'm not going to have lying a part of me. That's part of the old Adam race. No, I'm not going to be this person who's just always ticked off and always angry and hateful. That's part of the Adam race. I'm done with that. I'm no longer a part of that. I'm part of the heavenly race. I'm done with stealing. I'm done with foul language. No, no, Paul says, put it off. That's the old man. Don't walk as the Gentiles walk. I'm done with coveting. I'm done with buy, 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 want, want, want. Insatiable, I need more, I need more, I need more, I need more. And I'm done with the envy that's associated with that. Oh, I wish I had his truck. I wish I had her looks. I wish I had his wife. I wish I had her house. I wish I had their vacation home. I wish I had, no, be done with it. That's envy, that's covetousness. The people of the new heavens and new earth, the people who are in union with Christ, the children of the living God, those who have been filled with the Holy Spirit, they shouldn't have anything to do with that. Put it off, get it out of there. I'm done with porn. I'm done with seductive Ads, by the way, the Super Bowls today, if you, if, you, if you watch it, be ready, man. Be ready to turn your eyes. I'm done with that. I'm done with that. I'm done with indulging in gossip fests. I'm done with coarse jokes. I'm done with innuendos. I'm done with flirtatious uh, comments. I'm done with slandering people. I'm done with holding grudges. I'm done with maliciousness and unforgiveness. I'm done with letting roots of bitterness get a hold of me so that I hate people. I'm, I'm in the kingdom of love. I'm in the kingdom where I'm to love my neighbor and love my enemy. I'm the kingdom where I've been just, just flooded by the grace and love of God. I'm going to love people. I'm done with all of that. 
I'm done with being mean. I'm done with being judgmental. I'm done with being a busybody and trying to make the, and feeling like I need to decide everybody else's life. I'm done with that. I'm done with being a fool. I'm done with being a fool. I'm done with having my conscience so messed up by this sinful and adulterous generation that I don't know what right and wrong is. I'm done with that. I'm done with that. Stealing is wrong. Sex outside of marriage is wrong. Boyfriend and girlfriend, engaged couples, married men having affairs, it's wrong. It's wrong. I'm done with that. Divorce is wrong. Now, I know there's biblical grounds for divorce, but overall, divorce, as we have it in this culture, it's wrong. No, I'm not going to be fooled into thinking that's okay. Abortion is murder. Men are men. Women are women. Cheating on a test is wrong. Using AI to write my paper is wrong. Life is not about making money. That's wrong. Money doesn't make you happy. Money doesn't even give you a fulfilled life. That's wrong. Partying, living to party is wrong. Friday night is not some sacred night where you have the sacraments of a campfire and beer and get drunk until you're silly. That's wrong. That's wrong. Making a God of relationships, making a God of romance, making a God of sexual encounters, that's wrong. Strip clubs are wrong. The wrath of God is coming against them. It uses women. It's a terrible distortion of the beautiful, sacred, amazing thing, which is intimacy in marriage. It's offensive to one's wife. It destroys one witness. Sex clubs are wrong. I'm, I'm not going to make idols an obsession. You know what an idol is? An idol is something that you replace instead of God. And you give it your love and your affection and your energy and your thoughts and your mind and your life. And you treat it the way you should only be treating God. And we do it all the time. We obsess about our idols. We make hobbies an idol. You try to get somebody to talk about Jesus and they'll mumble on a little bit. And then they talk about golf and they come alive. I won't just get down on golfers, fly fishermen do the same thing. Sports. Make an idol of looks. Make an idol of approval. Make an idol of likes. Make an idol of pleasure. Make an idol of leisure. And all of our energy and our happiness and our commitment and our contentment and our free thoughts are all in this idol. That's what the damned I Adam race does. Don't keep walking like that, Paul says. You're the new creature. You say, well, Todd, I can't do this. You make it sound so easy. I can't do this. Well, dear friends, apparently Paul and God through him thinks you can. Or he wouldn't have said it. Stop it. Don't do that. Sometimes I think we spend hours and hours and hours in counseling. I think we've taken up the counseling idolatry, even in the Christian community now. Sometimes you just got to say to people, just stop it. Just stop doing that. That's what the Bible says. We don't have to keep talking about it. Stop. You say, but how can I do that? I'll tell you how you can do that. You've been born again. You were dead. <laughs> and you came alive to God. You have the spirit of the living God living within you. 
You have all of the, the power that created the world is living in you. When Paul prayed at the beginning of the book of Ephesians, he prayed, and one of the things he prayed is that we would know, in Ephesians 1.19 it says this, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. You have resurrection power living in you. Yes, you can stop. Yes, you can defeat this. Yes, it may be a battle. But yes, you can do this. And not only can you do it, you must do it. Dear ones, you must do it. In fact, let me jump ahead for a second here. Look what's at, look what's at stake. Look at chapter 5. And look at verse 5. For this you know that no foreigner, fornicator, no unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. Not only can you, you must. You must. And this is what it means. And dear ones, once you have been saved and once you have come to Christ, don't go back here. If you go back here, you're opening yourself up to Satan. You're opening yourself up to, to being a, a drawn back into it. It's like an alcoholic. After he has, he has been dry, and he's been dry for years and years and years, then goes into the bar and puts himself under that, that, that slaver again. And we're like, why did he do that? It's like a woman coming out of rehab and finally got clean from drugs, and she's out for like six weeks, and then she goes back in. Why would you do that? Why would you do that, dear saints? Why do we go back? Why do we go back to the, to the old man? Why do we go back? Now, there may be some of you here who, who want out of there, but you don't know how to do this. You've never, you've never taken the first step. Well, let me urge you what the first step is. Come to Christ. Come to Christ. If you're over here and you're in the old humanity right now, the, the, the doomed people of Adam, and you want to be saved, Jesus Christ came to save sinners. He came and he says, come to me and I will give you eternal life. I will forgive you of all of your sins. I will cause you to be born anew from above. I will give you my Holy Spirit and I will rescue you out of the kingdom of darkness and plant you into my kingdom of my love. You need to come to Jesus. You need to come to Jesus and say, I am a slave. I am over here. I can't stop. These things are dragging me down. And they're dragging me to hell. Please, Lord Jesus, please save me. You promised to save sinners. I'm a filthy, rotten, stinking sinner. And yet you claim that that's who you came to save. And he did, dear ones. He came to save sinners. He came to pluck us out of this and clean us up and to give us a new hope and a new life. And he does that not by works, not by merit, not because you're smart, not because you're cool, not because you've you got to straighten things out on your own. He does it by grace, unmerited love. He does it for his glory. And he plants you in this kingdom. Come to Christ. Come to Christ and you will have everything that you need to overcome the old man. And finally, I will say this. Perhaps, perhaps there are some of you here. Maybe you're a teenager. Maybe you're an elderly person. Maybe you were drugged drug here to church by somebody. And you came to make them happy so they would stop bugging you. But you're here and you're saying, dude, you don't know what you're talking about. 
I feel comfortable over here. Gosh, look at the women. Look at the stuff. Look at the fun. Look at the laughs. Look at the companionship. Listen to the jokes. Come on, dude. You're so holier than now. You're so holier than now. I ain't leaving that. My word to you is from the word of God. This isn't Todd. This is from the word of God. You're doomed. You're doomed. And you are going to come under the wrath of God. And when you die, you are going to immediately be plunged into hell. And it is going to be dark, and it is going to be terrifying, and you are going to suffer, and you're going to suffer remorse. And then one day, the Lord Jesus Christ is going to come back, and he's going to call every grave, everybody out of every grave. And some like us who are saved, who are on that side, some of us are going to come out of that grave, and, and our souls will be reunited with our bodies, and those bodies will be glorified like him. But for you who is sitting here defying God, I don't know what your body's going to come out some kind of ghoul, some kind of ugly thing, and your wretched soul is going to be brought out of hell and reunited to that body, and then you are going to be cast, body and soul, into eternal, forever damnation. I didn't make this up. I wish it wasn't true in one sense. But God said this is what will happen. You stay here with the race of Adam. You are Doomed. In Adam, all die. In Christ, all shall be made alive. Here's the good news. Oh, hardened sinner. Oh, hardened rebel. Here's good news for you. Today is not the day of salvation. I, I mean, not the day of, 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 of wrath. At least not yet today, it hasn't been. Christ may return this afternoon, but... But right now, it is not the day of wrath. It is the day of salvation. And Jesus stands ready to save even you. Oh, please, please hear what the apostle Peter preached in the first Christian message. Be saved from this perverse generation. Be saved. They're going down. Don't go down with them. Let's pray together. Father, these are not trite and trivial things and we should not play loose with them. This is not a time for joking. You are God. You are holy. You are just. You are righteous. You are good. And Father, we just thank you that you are the God of grace and that you have provided a way for sinners like me and sinners like us to find life to find eternity, salvation, but even to find the power to overcome the old humanity in our own souls. Oh, dear Lord, help us to begin even this week by saying no. Nope, putting that off. Nope, not going there. Nope, used to be that, not anymore. Give us the grace. Lead us, we pray. Help us, we pray, to no longer walk as the Gentiles walk but to put on the new man. Help us, we pray, for your glory. And Lord Jesus, we pray this in your precious name. Amen.